give the band a round of applause, my goodness. Thank you guys. They, they work tirelessly to make sure that the music is, I think the kids say, uh, slapping, banging. I, I don't know how to, I don't know what you guys say these days. So uh, turn to Ephesians 1. I'm so glad. I hope I didn't say anything bad just then. Uh, Ephesians 1. All right. Uh, and I, I love that song. Uh, <laughs> God really loves us. Doesn't it feel like, yeah, he, he loves me. I know he does. But it's like, no, he really does, no matter your past, no matter what you did last night, this week, two years ago, ten years ago, he really, truly loves you. And we're walking through the book of Ephesians, and that's what it's all about. I actually talked to a a person yesterday who's considering the faith. Uh, She's been kind of walking through some different things. And so, and I asked her, I go, well, what's stopping you from just turning to Jesus, giving your life to Jesus? And he goes, I I, I just don't feel like I deserve it. That's the whole point. You don't deserve it, and you don't, and I don't deserve it. That's the whole point, is that we are so wretched. (laughs) Welcome to church. You're wretched. We're so wretched that God had to kill his own son, and Jesus gave his life in that way because he wants to save you. And because he loves you, and he, like, really loves you. Picture in his wallet, iPhone background, you're it, okay? He loves you that much, so much so he gave us this perfect book so that we could read it and study it and figure out who he is more and more and more. So I have a shorter sermon today. Uh, that, that, intro, that didn't count, okay? Don't count that on my time. That's all overflow. So, so we're, we have kind of a special elder installation at the end of the service today, which I'm very excited about. And so... It's a short, my sermons are always kind of short, but today it's even especially short. Okay, so uh, first things first, read with me in Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. We are walking through the book of Ephesians, started last week. The Apostle Paul, under the unction of the Holy Spirit, writes, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 1, 15 is where I'm starting. For this reason, because, hey, Ephesians, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I don't cease, I don't stop to give thanks for you, remembering you. In my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him. That he would give you that. Verse 18, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ, you didn't deserve it, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenlies, in the heavenly places, just a little bit above. Is that what it says? No. Far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Verses 3 to 14 that we looked at last week in chapter 1, it's kind of a tough act to follow. I mean, if you remember, from last, it's all praise to God, this one 202-word sentence that just Paul overflows with praise for our great and perfect God. Kind of a tough fact to follow, but he does a good job here, I think, in verses 15 to 23. So last week was all about praise. This week is about prayer. Okay, and the two go hand in hand. We know that one feeds the other. Your praise should make your prayer even deeper, and your prayer should make your praise even deeper. The two go together. The two are essential, of course, in our walk with Christ. They run parallel. So in verse 15, 
Paul starts by just kind of giving the church a compliment. Again, he's writing this to a group of churches in Ephesus. We're not reading their mail. It's to us as well. But he's writing, and he, he starts with just going, hey, great job. Giving them a compliment. He, he's like, hey, I keep hearing about how you love each other, about how you're taking care of each other. Way to go. You know, and it seems like kind of a simple thing, but just a quick exhortation from Paul's example. Each Sunday, you should encourage somebody. And every time your small group gathers, you should encourage somebody, give somebody a compliment. And I actually, I think that could become a good spiritual discipline. You know, I know that we think about, you know, reading the scriptures and prayer. Those are really great essential spiritual disciplines. But even things like this that the Bible encourages us to do, every Sunday you get into a habit of complimenting somebody in our church. Get in the habit of every time before I leave my small group, I'm going to give one person a compliment, okay? And it seems like a small thing, but little things like that change a church. Okay, it changes the culture altogether. Think about in one year, 10 years, 20 years, what you could do among us with giving a compliment, right? And so, and also, the type of person who seeks to encourage ends up encouraged. It's the way God made the world to work, okay? And so, I challenge you, every Sunday, and not like weird compliments or like, you know, church people, <laughs> I had this lady one time, this wasn't in this church, uh, she was trying to give me a compliment. She goes, you know what, you don't talk as fast as you used to. It's like, that, I'll think about that later. Okay, thanks a lot. Okay, so not compliments like that. Like, that dress fits you better than it used to. We're not doing that, okay? But genuine compliments that build up, okay? So your, your proclivity might be toward being a little bit critical. And in our age, there's never been more opportunity to criticize, okay? You know, everybody now, that we feel the power to just take a restaurant down if they didn't serve us perfectly. We're not doing that, okay? We're not criticizing. A mature believer builds up. A mature believer encourages and compliments his or her fellow believers. So I challenge you every single Sunday to remember to do that, okay? And again, think where Paul is. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing this from prison, okay? And, you know, the prison that he was in would make our modern American prisons look like a four-star resort. I mean, it's a really tough place that he was in, not food. So, and, and he's writing to this church from prison, awful circumstances, and it would make so much sense to us. Nobody would blame Paul if, if he was like, hey, hey, Ephesian church, I've been praying that God would release me from this prison because I'm, you know, I want to go plant more churches. I want to go preach some more. That would make sense. Somebody would go, oh, Paul, you're so selfish. Okay? If he's like, hey, I haven't had a good meal in weeks. I haven't had a good night's sleep in months. Y'all pray for me about that. I'm praying for myself. Nobody would go, oh, Paul, come on, man. Be, be focused. No, nobody would blame him. But Paul's idea of prayer was for him to get in alignment with God's agenda. Oftentimes for our prayers, it's God getting in alignment with our agenda. We're like, God, if you would just give me this promotion, God, if you would just make my wife say this, God, if you would just, then I could do what I need to do, God. Get in line with my agenda. But what we see Paul over and over, read all of Paul's prayers in his letters, over and over it's he prays for God-centeredness. He prays for more of God to invade his heart, and then from that healthy heart, he's able to live and breathe and do, right? So for most people, I think that prayer, your prayer life reveals your greatest desires. So just think, what do you pray for? What do you find yourself praying about? Because prayer is very much unlike Aladdin rubbing the genie's lamp and petitioning for, to become a prince or a, more money or power or whatever you might petition, right? While, I do want to make the important point, God welcomes us approaching him with our needs, okay? We need to balance what we're looking at today with other parts of scripture, of course. So it's not like don't ask for, you know, a better house. It's not, it's not never 
ask God for what you want or whatever. But I think the important idea is aligning that are our needs what God thinks our needs are. Okay. Cold room on that one, I thought. Okay, but again, Paul, we find Paul always, always praying for God's purposes and God's kingdom to advance. So Paul tells the Ephesians in verse 16 that he prays for them all the time. Like, I think about you guys all the time. I pray for you all the time. And Paul does not pray that you're, hey, I'm praying that your 401k grows by 25% over the next year. Uh, I'm praying that you get that promotion at work that you've really been dying for. Okay, no. Paul does not pray for their circumstances to change. Okay, Paul prayed that they would have a deeper knowledge of God. Read verses 17 and the first part of 18 again. I'm praying that the, Lord of our, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, that he would give you the spirit of wisdom. You would know what to do. Of, of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope. So uh, he prays that the eyes of our hearts, of their hearts, would be enlightened. You ever tried to walk through a dark room? Nobody? Okay. Well, um, I love you, man. <laughs> David and Jeffrey got my back. So uh, one of my best buddies, he is, uh, before he became a pastor, actually, y'all met him this summer. He was here uh, for a Sunday. But before he became a pastor, he was a firefighter for a few years. And so he says when he went to fire school, which sounds like a made-up thing, but evidently you go to fire school to become a firefighter. Anyway, so in, in fire school, they, one of the key things that they teach you there is how to operate in the darkness. They teach you all these techniques and tips and tricks how to operate in darkness, okay? And so one of the big, so they have all these tests and everything, and one kind of the big test of fire school, isn't that just sounds so, anyway, of fire school, okay, is you put on all the heavy fire gear, they put you in a pitch black room, and they simulate smoke, and then they put an opaque, a dark sheet over your mask, just ensuring that you cannot see a dang thing. And then you got to figure out how to, how to navigate, how to get to where you're going and, and save lives, all the, save lives, all those good things, okay. So, and then the smoke kind of clears from the room, you take the mask off, and then you can kind of look around and really see what the room looked like, what you were trying to navigate, what you were walking through. And that's what Paul is telling us that he wants for us spiritually, for us to go from kind of trying to go through life where what does success look like? What does it look like to be happy? Where am I trying to even find, where does the journey even begin? To go from that to where the, the eyes of our hearts are continue in, continually enlightened so that through the scriptures and through the church and all these things, so that the, the eyes of our hearts, so that we know God more and more and more. And it goes from trying to life being like a, room, a dark room where we can't see anything. How do we navigate and we're tripping over desks and all things like that to we kind of know what we're doing. Not, of course, not completely, okay? But we, we kind of start being able to navigate through life by walking in God's way. So that's, and I pray this for you often, right? The different circumstances in your life. And then Paul, uh, he, he prays, says he prays, verse, the last part of 18, that you may know, you can know, so much guesswork in this life, but you can know what is the hope to which Jesus has called you, the hope that's the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. So the second thing that Paul prays for his brothers and sisters in Christ is a deeper hope in Christ. There is even, wherever you are in your faith journey, there is even a, another level of hope that you can have in God. Not just, and again, realize, not just deeper hope, but deeper hope in God, right? We don't come in here and sing, you know, rain came, wind blew, but I had a savings account. 
Rain came, wind blew, but, but you know, I've got a great family and they were able to get my back. No, rain came, wind blew in my life, but my firm foundation is in Christ. And on that firm foundation, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. Not I can do all things. That's an incomplete thought, okay? Deeper hope in God. You know, hope is in short supply these days. You know, you look around, it seems like there's a new and worse headline every day, always a new variant, recession is looming, interest rates are going up, the Cowboys only have one offensive lineman. It's <laughs> just like a new thing every day, right? So where do we turn for hope? A deep hope, lasting true hope. Where, where, so my home church sang a, a hymn that you've probably heard before, but uh, it's one of my favorite lines in, in any song, uh, of course, is in any song in history. We sang, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus's blood and his righteousness. On Christ, the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. For it to be hope, it's got to come from Jesus. I can't build my own hope. For, it to, for us to have that foundation, it's got to be Jesus. All other ground is sinking sand. And this message goes against every message that the world is offering you today. Okay? All the messaging that's coming to you today is to get to know yourself. Confused about your calling? Well, just find out what you want. Don't give up and keep going. Okay? Find it, but it all comes, it all starts from within. You want some more meaning in life? Okay. Well, just look inside. Realize your greatness and reach for the stars. That's what we were told as kids. I don't know if they still say that. But that, that process to look within to find greatness, to look within to find calling, that's exactly backwards. Okay. To realize immeasurable greatness, like it says in verse 19, to realize, to see, to experience immeasurable greatness, Paul wants us to know more of God. Not to look within, but to look to God. Instead of digging deeper and trying to find some unlocked truth that's finally going to unlock, you know, your life to happiness and calling like never before, Paul prays that the Ephesian church and that we would find our hope in God, not inside ourselves. And that's what Paul's saying. I, I, I'm praying that y'all remember that your hope is not in the riches of this world, but in the riches that God is offering you in his inheritance. That's going to last forever. Your hope is in Jesus. How quick, it's so funny how we forget that. Your hope is in Jesus, in his power, in his provision. And, you know, some of you are going through it right now. You know, it's one of my, I agree with Pastor Jeffrey that he was saying earlier, one of the great things of my week every week is to look back and to see somebody who I know is going through it, raising their arms and going, God, you're my firm foundation. So some of you are going through it right now, but we have hope in the immeasurable greatness of his power. And if you're going through it, the same God who led you in will lead you out. You know, with God, oftentimes, if you read the scriptures, his MO, oftentimes the only way out is through. Leaning on him the whole time, in him, you know, the same God who is big enough to save you from your sin is big enough to break that new addiction, that new sin in your life. The same God who saved you, wretched you, is big enough to save your brother or sister or child who you think or you fear is just too far gone. He can save them. The same God who loves you when you're healthy will love you with that cancer. Hey, he's God, okay? He, he's big. Don't throw in the towel. Throw on the armor of God. Some of you are like, yeah, I know. I mean, I've seen God save some marriages, but he couldn't possibly. You don't know what we're going through. He couldn't possibly save us. Hey, 
You're like, yes, God, I've seen God save some people from their addictions, but he couldn't possibly save me from this mess. Hey, he's God. He can split the oceans. He can tell the storms to stop. He absolutely can do it in your life. Have faith in his power, not in yours. That's what Paul prayed for this church, that they would know, that they would remember what is the hope to which he has called you. You know, if you're in Christ today, you will be in Christ in 20 million years. It's done. You're secure. And here's why we can put all of our faith in Jesus. Look again at verses 20 through 23. That you know that he worked in Christ, not through your skills, in Christ when he raised Jesus from the dead and seated Jesus at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule, authority, power, dominion, above every name that's ever been named, not only now, but also in the age to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Our God is not barely above all other authorities. Like they're, they're racing and he, he sticks his chest out to touch the tape just in time. He barely beats him. No, no, no. He is far above every other name. Okay, Jesus is the greatest of all time. We use all time rankings too much. We're like, hey, who, is, who do you think is the greatest movie actor of all time? Like, there's been movies for 100 years. That's not an all-time. Like, who's the greatest quarterback or who's the best football player of all time? Obviously, Dak. Okay, but that's a new game. So an all-time ranking doesn't really fit in such a scenario, but Jesus really is all-time. He is far above all rule, far above every other name, far above all authorities throughout history. Julius Caesar, Alexander the Great, name any American president you want. None of them come close to his authority and his power. He puts all things under his feet. He's the head of the church worldwide, millions of churches meeting worldwide right now, and Jesus is the pastor of all of them, okay? And I love verse 20. It says that Jesus is seated at the Father's right hand, okay? He doesn't even have to get up to run the universe, okay? He, he's, he upholds it all sitting down, okay? He's not up there straining, stressed out, like plates spinning in the air trying to make sure. No, he's in total control. God of gods, far above all authority, power, dominion, every name that's ever been named, Jesus is far above. So as we think about how to live this out, I think Paul's encouragement to us is first to get our theology right. He is over everything. He is all powerful. He has all dominion. And because of that, we can rest in him. It doesn't come from us being over any dominion. It's, it's all him. And so as we look at Paul's prayer and how he's praying for the saints, the Christians in Ephesus, I think there's some things that we can implement. You know, I did a whole sermon this summer from the Psalms on how to pray for each other in church. It's a really important thing. Prayer is kind of out of fashion nowadays. And for a lot of reasons, okay, but, you know, we have a newly, uh, we just started a prayer team. We pray together a lot on, when, on Wednesday nights is my group. In our small groups, we pray for together, pray for each other in here a lot. We really take that seriously. And so a few ways that I want you to live out from Paul's example, the things that we see here. One, again, it's great, it's great and good, right and good to pray for the needs in your life. Okay, that's fine. We see plenty of, you know, James even says you have not because you ask not. Okay, so that's right and that's good, okay? But what I'm struck by in Paul's prayer today is how theological it is. 
Like he's like praying theology, you know. And so I, I think sometimes we feel this need to always be praying a new, wor- newly worded prayer. Pray Paul's prayer here. Pray it with our names on it, okay. And so, you know, obviously uh, we pray for each other in small groups a lot. So a third of our time in small groups is spent praying for each other. So if you're not in a small group, you're missing on a big way that our church ministers to each other in prayer, okay. And Paul says in verse 16 that he remembered his, this church in his prayers, which is very likely a reference to the Jewish pattern of prayer, which is three times a day, okay. So morning, noon, and night, Paul would pray. And so it wasn't like Paul got up in the, in the morning and he goes, well, I really hope I pray for somebody today. I really hope I think about it, you know, but maybe when I'm on my commute in those five minutes, I can squeeze in a prayer, okay? Okay, no, Paul, he's like morning, he had a plan, he had a pattern, he had habits of prayer. So what is a prayer habit that you can start to pray for us? Right, so one of the things that I showed you this summer, I have prayer cards, I keep this right in my office, okay? And so it has a family in the church and different things that I pray for them. I got business cards as y'all give them to, and, and I pray for you by name. And this helps me a ton. It's way more effective for me than a list because, it, you know, I'll be praying through a list and I go quickly and I forget things that you're going through here. I've got it all written out, okay? And in fact, this week I, I even added to, to pray for your knowledge, to pray for your understanding, to pray for your hope. It's a great thing to pray. So I really encourage you to do this. Even if, you know, you know, I'm a pastor, so I got a big stack. So, but maybe, stacks on stacks, okay. But maybe it's just three or four families or people that you've, that's appropriate to say. If you think it is, I know it is. We're really in touch with them. So, uh, you know, I really encourage you to do that, to make a list, to have prayer cards, uh, something in a systematized way that you pray for us. But instead, again, just like Paul, we don't go, but I, I really hope I pray for somebody in my church this week, but instead you have a plan and a pattern and a habit to help us out. So, and one thing I want to challenge you to do is to pray this week, every, every day this week, I got a prayer that I want you to pray for yourself and somebody in the church. Okay, so where me is, you put somebody's name on it. So pray it for yourself. Pray this week. Wait, uh, okay, I'll just say it to you. It's, oh God, help me know you more today. Pray that every day this week. You'll be amazed the God of the universe can actually do things in your life like the wind just blowing in your life. So pray that every day put, and then put one name on it. So, oh, God, help me know you more today. Oh, God, help me help Jeffrey know you more today. And let's just pray for each other, okay? Okay.